when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black and now your host evan Grote. and let's go raider nation welcome to the week one recap episode of just pod baby a week one victory episode the first victory in the history of the las vegas raiders it wasn't always pretty but they did hang on to get the victory 34 30 over the carolina panthers This episode is brought to you by The Silver and Black Today, your home for all the latest news and information on the Las Vegas Raiders. Of course, I am your host, Evan Grote, and I'd like to introduce my co-host for tonight. He is an NFL columnist for Bleacher Report, and he is our senior columnist at Silver and Black Today, Mr. Mo Moten. Mo, how are you, and how are you feeling after that Raiders win on Sunday? I'm feeling good, but still a little concerned. I'm sure we're going to get into that as we break down the game from Sunday. I don't want to scare Raider fans off at the beginning of the show. There's some positives and there's some negative. Like every win and loss in the NFL, there are good things and there are bad things. We'll go over that today. Really quick, I had to uh, stuff my mouth with uh, some toast and, and a quick quick drink. Not an alcoholic beverage, but a fruit drink before I got on. Of course, I, I don't have the pull that Scott and Q have with the Dr. Jen's Nutrition Bars, but had to get something to eat real quick before I got on air with you. Got some water now, so I'm all good. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to work on a sponsor with some some sort of energy bar for you and I here on the show. But yeah, I, I agree overall with what you said. It, it's always good to start the, the season with a victory. You're 1-0. You're, you're you know, Mo, it's hard to win games in this league. The Raider, Raider fans know that very well. As you said, we saw some things that you like, that you think you can build on, that make you excited. But at times, there were some things that were really concerning. We're going to get into all of that and more. But, but first, Mo, let's start off tonight with a recap of the game from start to finish, what do you say about that? Sure. All right, here, here we go. After allowing a field goal on the Panthers' opening drive of the game, trailing 3-0, the Raiders got the ball back and marched down the field on an eight-play, 75-yard drive, capped off by Josh Jacobs' one-yard touchdown run. But the big play that set up the touchdown was a 45-yard completion from Derek Carr to Henry Ruggs. Mo, tell me what you saw on the big play to Ruggs. Well, basically, this is what we wanted to see from the Raiders' offense. Ruggs goes in motion, moves into the slot. Then runs downfield. He's basically free in the middle of the field. I don't know what the Panthers' communication problem was, but you don't leave rugs with that type of speed wide open. And, of course, he gets down near the goal line where Jacobs can punch it in. So, you, again, you like to see that from the Raiders very early in the game. Gruden went aggressive. Now, Trent Brown left the game after only three snaps. He did not return. He's dealing with a calf injury. Backup Sam Young, he was also injured. He left the game as well, and that left Denzel Good as the next man up at right tackle, and he did a very good job in, in, in relief of those two. More on the injury to Trent Brown in just a bit. On the ensuing drive, Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers answered back with a long 10-play, 63-yard drive of their own. Bridgewater dink and dunked the ball down the field. He had all day to make throws. Really, the pass rush, or lack thereof, was, was a big concern for the defense all game long. Christian McCaffrey scored on a run from six yards out to make the score 9-7 Panthers. Mo, talk about the lack of pass rush for the Raiders, not only on this particular drive, but throughout the game. Yeah, the Panthers didn't have their one of their starting guards, Dennis Daly, I believe, was out. 
Uh, Schofield, Michael Schofield had to step in. Uh, they do have Russell Okun, who's a two-time Pro Bowler. Matt Prater has sent to us. Okay, Taylor Moten, by the way, same last name as me. Uh, pretty good offensive line. That's no excuse. Uh, the Raiders have to get more pressure. What I did see on that particular drive, though, Bridgewater moved the pocket a lot. And I'm sure Green was looking at that like, this is what I like to see from my quarterback. A quarterback, a single player who can move the pocket, or on the run his receivers. And that's what you saw out of Teddy Bridgewater. Raiders just couldn't get a finger on him. I know a lot of people want to say Max Crosby was being held, but, you know, that's not going to be called every down. And sometimes players are going to defensive, uh, offensive linemen are going to hold you. You got to be able to break out of that and make the sack or at least put a, put some pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, definitely. The pass rush is, uh, is going to have to get better going into week two versus the Saints. After trading field goals late in the second quarter with the score 12 to 10 Carolina, Derek Carr engineered the second Raiders touchdown drive of the game. Henry Ruggs was heavily involved, touched the ball three times in the series, one run play for seven yards and two catches for 10 yards. Uh, the Raiders did have a scare, though, in the series when Ruggs left the game. He, he was came down awkwardly after being tackled. He limped off the field and headed to the locker room. Devontae Booker chipped in with a 15-yard run up the middle, and on third and two from the Panthers' 23-yard line, Derek Carr found Nelson Aguilar on a perfectly thrown ball to put the Raiders ahead 17-12. It was an absolute dime by Carmo. But what I want your thoughts on is Devontae Booker. As I said, he had a big 15-yard run on the drive, and a lot was made going into the season about the lack of depth behind Josh Jacobs. But I thought Booker looked great on only eight snaps, but he made the most of them. What did you see? Yeah, I think he looked decent. Uh, I'll say good on those on those uh, plays. He combined for about, I think, believe 52 yards from scrimmage. What I do worry about him, though, and I will, and this is, I wouldn't say this is nitpicking, but this is something to note. He does have, he had a fumble issue. Seven touchdowns in his career, eight fumbles, and he did fumble after his long run. Thankfully, it went out of bounds, but this is something you worry about with Booker, is his ball security. And again, once I saw that fumble, again, thankfully, it went out of bounds, so no one could recover from the Panthers, but this is this was one of his problems in Denver, is that he couldn't hold on to the football. Now, you did mention the Derek Dime. I tweeted one of Derek Dimes that goes to Nelson Aguilar. If you look at the play design, he, had Nelson Aguilar matched up against Troy Pride Jr., who's a rookie fourth rounder for the Panthers. So that was probably a matchup that Carr immediately saw and targeted, delivered a beautiful pass right on point to Nelson Aguilar. He brought it in, perfect touchdown. Yeah, and Aguilar did an excellent job getting a, a nice clean release off the line, and I, I tweeted about that during the game as well. The Panthers got the ball to start the second half, and the defense, the Raiders' defense, forced a three and out to get the ball back to Derek Carr on the offense. Carr was called for an intentional grounding on second down, putting the offense behind the sticks, and they were never never able to uh, recover from that during that drive. They would have to settle for a 54-yard Daniel Carlson field goal to extend the lead to 20-15. to The defense defense once again did its job forcing a second consecutive three and out highlighted by Mo Hurst and Carl Nassib getting pressure on Bridgewater resulting in a sack the only sack of the game for the Raiders on the punt return the Raiders benefited though from an unsportsmanlike penalty on the Panthers that resulted in 15 additional yards being tacked on to the return the Raiders would begin the drive in Panthers territory now looking to build on their lead Gruden went back to his bell cow back and that's Josh Jacobs this time it was in the passing game after a four yard loss on second and 14 Carr hit Josh Jacobs out of the backfield on a great off a great angle route by Jacobs if you haven't seen that yet go back and watch the slow-mo of that play Jacobs caught the ball made a man miss and rumbled for a gain of 24 yards 
Five plays later, Jacobs would take it from the seven-yard line and score his second touchdown of the game, extending the Raiders' lead to 27-15. Mo, four catches for 46 yards from Jacob. Did you like what you saw from Jacobs being involved in the passing game early on? Yeah, absolutely. He said he wants at least 60 catches. Uh, you mentioned it. He fakes outside, goes inside on Shaq Thompson. And then he hurdles, invades Trey Boston on who tried to tackle, picks up some yak. And that's what you want to see out of Josh Jacobs. Of course, I thought Jalen Richard would cut into that, but it's good to see Josh Jacobs getting into the passing game as he wanted to and Gruden gave him the ball. Shout out to, to LaMarcus Joyner for getting that drive started off right, antagonizing DJ Moore after a after play. So shout out to him too for getting that started. But Josh Jacobs looks good in the passing game. Yeah, and, and, and Jacobs talked about during the offseason how his route running was an emphasis that you know he really spent a lot of time working on that. So far, it looks to be uh, paying dividends. Now, momentum began to shift late in the third quarter. The Panthers' offense went on a methodical 17-play, 75-yard drive with a healthy dose of Christian McCaffrey. The All-Pro back carried the ball nine times for 37 yards, and he added two, catch, two catches for 25 yards as well. His three-yard touchdown cut the Raiders' lead to 27 22. Now, following the scoring drive, the Panthers' defense continued to seize the moment, getting a much-needed stop, forcing a Raiders punt. The Panthers would take over with 9.27 remaining in the game and needed only two plays to take the lead. Teddy Bridgewater hooked up with deep threat Robbie Anderson on a 75-yard pitch and catch. Rookie Damon Arnett was in coverage on the play. He did a couple things wrong there. Mo, tell us what went wrong for the rookie on that play. Yeah, basically a rookie mistake. Uh, you got a quick, quick quick twitch wide receiver in Robbie Anderson. He hits Damon Arnett with a double move. Damon Arnett tries to grab him because he's basically probably panicked because he knew he was going to get beat. So the flag came out, but Robbie Anderson was already downfield. And then to compound the issue, Eric Harris takes a poor angle and lets a big play go for a touchdown. Now again, the Raiders could have cut that play in half if Eric Harris had a good angle and just makes it stop there. Makes the Panthers work more for that drive. But then when you take the poor angle, you, again, you just compound the issue. And uh, John Abram couldn't catch up. Robbie Anderson touchdown followed by a two-point conversion. Yeah, that was the sixth lead change of the game. Now the Raiders would need to make a comeback to win this game. Carr hooked up with Josh Jacobs once again out of the backfield for a gain of 18, followed by consecutive catches of 6 yards and 14 yards by Devontae Booker. But the big play of the drive... And in my opinion, Mo, this was the turning point play of the game. It came on a third and eight with 5.06 left in the game. Tyre Whitehead, former Raider, we all know these types of plays, was called for a defensive pass interference on Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro, excuse me. The penalty would result in an 18-yard gain for the Raiders and allowed them to extend the drive. Three plays later, Josh Jacobs found Pater from the third for, for the third time. The Raiders once again took the lead, and this time it was for good, 34-30. Mo, I want to talk about that critical third and eight defensive PI for a minute. Talk about the significance of that play. Yeah, we as if you watched Raider games last year and the year before, you know Tahir Whitehead, not the greatest in, in coverage. At, at, you know, you can go far and say he can't cover a mattress. So I said this before the game. Throw at Tahir White. Isolate him if you can with a tight end or a running back and throw at him as much as you can. And I think Carr, again, seeing the matchup with the slot wide receiver with Hunter Renfro's technique going against Tahir Whitehead. Tahir Whitehead comes in too early for the tackle and then he gets the flag. So gives the Raiders some breathing room. Leads to Jay Jacobs coming in, walk, going in for his third touchdown. Brian Edwards had a great block along with the tight ends on that edge and still the, still the corner. 
Bryant Edwards only had one catch in nine yards, but that was a big block on the end to still take a third touchdown. It certainly was. Now, the Panthers would have one last opportunity to win the game. It all came down to a, a crucial fourth and one from the Raiders' 46 with, with just over a minute left in the game. And it was Cleland Farrell and, and Raekwon McMillan who, who snuffed it out. Uh, they stuffed the fullback, Alex Arma. And it was not Christian McCaffrey who got the ball on the fourth down play. And that was all she wrote for the Panthers. The Raiders win the game 34-30. And that is your Week 1 Highlights and Recap. Mo, as I said at the top, it wasn't always pretty. Many believe that the Raiders, this was a game that they would win by a touchdown or more. But they showed some guts. They showed some resilience. They dealt with some adversity, losing Trent Brown and Kwiatkowski uh, early in the game. But they had, at the end of the day, the Raiders are 1-0 as they look towards their home opener against the Saints in Week 2. Yeah, really quick, I just want to dial back to that last uh, game-winning stop on the run play. Quick shout-out to... Um, Baldy, who works for NFL Network, he broke down the, that last play. Jonathan Hankins deserves a lot of credit because he stands up the center and the guard, which allows Cleveland Farrell, who beat the tight end, to come in for the clean tackle on Alex Arma. So make sure you congratulate Hankins on that. He's not going to get credit for the tackle, but occupying two offensive linemen so Cleveland Farrell can come in and make the tackle makes all the difference on that play. Now, as far as the Raiders and final thoughts on the game, I will say this. This is shades of what we saw last year. One thing you can say about this young Raiders team under John Gruden, they do not give up because we saw this last year. There were times where the Raiders had momentum shifts and they would come back and win games. I can, I can remember the Colts game where Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs had a miscommunication on the handoff. And it seems like the Colts had the momentum and they were scoring points and driving. And the Raiders came back right at the ship and won the game. So, again, this team is very resilient under John Gruden. There is no quit there. My issue here is when you play playoff caliber teams, not the Panthers who are rebuilding, but teams like the Saints who are coming up next, the Bills who are coming up soon, the Chiefs in the division. Those teams are not going to let you back in the game if you make a big mistake. Those teams are going to keep their foot on the pedal and they're going to close it out. The Raiders have to understand, now understand there's very rarely a no-mistake football game. You're going to make mistakes. But the big gaps that happen, I know uh, Damon Rant is going to have his mistakes because he's a rookie, but once you let that momentum shift to a high-powered offense, again, like the Saints, like the Chiefs, those teams are not going to let you back in the game. You can fight back, but you're just not going to have enough of the young team. You're going to have enough firepower to match those squads who also have situationally good defenses, which the Raiders had some issues against the Panthers in their defense, giving up 30 points. Yeah, you're right on all the counts there, Mo. And I did see uh, Baldy's breakdown of that final fourth and one uh, stop by the Raiders. And, and you're right, it was Jonathan Hankins who, who kind of took on a double team there. And those are plays that, you know, they're not going to show up in the box score, but, uh, you know, all credit to Hankins for that play. So, all right, Mo, we're going to step aside real quick and get our first break out of the way. When we return, we will go through the good, the bad, and the okay from week one. But before we do that, here's a quick message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey everyone, it's me, Evan Grote, host of Just Pod Baby. Fantasy football season is finally upon us, and due to quarantine, it's very possible that you might have Zeke's haircut in your pants. That's why our partners at Manscaped have partnered with us to make sure you don't gamble on shaving your balls the same way you like to gamble on football. When it comes to men's hygiene, Manscaped is as good and safe as Christian McCaffrey in a PPR league. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. Because of the ceramic blade and skin-safe technology, your nicks and snags will be reduced. This is the perfect protection needed for your franchise quarterback. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and has an LED light on it. That's a game changer. 
They just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. No one likes an ungroomed set of feet, fingers, and most importantly, balls. That's why they have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. Their Perfect Package 3.0 comes with a new and improved lawnmower, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag for you to use when you're done quarantining, and some other liquid formulations like the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant which ensures that your afternoon stroll doesn't end with your ball sticking to your leg or smelling like eggs. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will give your testes a boost. For a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PODBABY at manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PODBABY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the promo code PODBABY. It's time to give your testies an absolute besties with Manscaped. And we are back here on Just Pod Baby, the week one recap episode. I am Evan Grote and I am joined by co-host Mo Moten. Next, we're going to get into some of the good, the bad, and the okay segment of the show. So, Mo, you can take it away. Tell us what you thought was good in Sunday's win over the Panthers. Yeah, I'll go with I'll go with something that is not picked out right away unless you kind of look over the game and everything. But nine guys, nine pass catches caught passes from Derek Carr. And I think this is important because defenses won't be able to key on Darren Waller or just Henry Ruggs. Or, or whatever receiver has a hot hand. Derek Carr can go to different receivers, tight ends, and running backs. And I talked about this before the season. The Raiders can roll out so many personnel packages and just focus on the specific weakness of the defense and be able to depend on a certain wide receiver or tight end or running back to win in the game or just get a crucial play. And you saw the touchdown pass Derek Dime to Nelson Aguilar. Up until that point, we didn't hear from Nelson Aguilar. He pops up with a good matchup against Troy Pride Jr., who's a rookie, as I said, and he scores a touchdown. So I think that's Really important to see that Gruden has opened up the playbook and he's getting different guys involved in the first game. Yeah, I think that's a great a, a great uh, point that you make there. And I, I recall uh, Carr talking about this earlier in his career when he when he talked about um, not being locked into one guy. You know, being willing to to throw to whoever you know may be open. He's not going to necessarily lock in on his number one guy. He's going to go through his progressions. He's going to throw to the open man. And, I, and what I like about that is that it makes it de- uh, difficult for defenses to key in on guys like maybe a Darren Waller, who we all know last year was his number one target. But if you, when you're spreading the ball around like that, uh, you, you know, you're creating opportunities for everybody and, and you and you give the defense that many more people that they have to worry about. And not to mention, you talked about having the depth on offense. Again, you're utilizing all that depth that you have. So the, I agree that was that was good to see. Now, I'm pretty sure I know where you might be going with this one. Tell us what was bad on Sunday with the Raiders. I I, I talked about this before the season started. I, I'm still worried about the pass rush. I know people are very high. Uh, Max Crosby, I know he's going to see a lot more, uh, I wouldn't say coverage, but double, maybe a double team here and there just in case. But I would be careful about crowning guys after their first season. Again, I know a lot of people are hyped about Max Crosby. I'm not coming down just on him. But coming into the season, he was looked at as the Raiders' best pass rusher. A lot of Raiders fans felt that he should have won Defensive Rookie of the Year, which I disagree with. But again, I would be careful about crowning guys after one year. Now, of course, this is a joint effort, so other players have to step up. Where's Cleveland Farrell 
on the on Farrell on the pass rush with um Arden Key, Malik Collins, who was talked up during the offseason. Mo Hurst and Carl Nassib shared shared a sack as one pressure for the Raiders. The Raiders all game had one quarterback pressure. So that that worries me if you're gonna go against the Saints next week on Monday night football in your new building and you and you're struggling to get pressure and you know again Damon Arnett's gonna have his rookie mistakes here and there. Uh, I just just a little concern there. You got You got to be able to pressure the pocket if you want to beat good quarterbacks, top tier quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I was very disappointed with the play of the defensive line. It was, it was uh, one of the the areas of the defense that I was most excited to see play and see you know the improvement that they would make this season. So far in week one, I didn't see it. Did you happen to hear Gruden talking about? I, th- I believe it was today in his press ca- press conference about how he thinks conditioning played a role in that. He he talked about how he felt those guys were out of shape. What do you think about that? My thing is no excuses. You know that you have a game week one. You know what you're what you're preparing for week one. And if if you're going to use that, I call it an excuse. If you're going to use that reason, then that that would apply to everyone across the league because the Rays weren't the only team that had a condensed offseason. The Rays weren't the only team who didn't have OTAs. The Rays weren't the only team that went through these offseason conditions. You have to come through. You can't come up with this. Oh, it's conditioning. Oh, it's this or that. You knew you have a game. You know you have to be prepared. Get the job done. My question is, we talked about Rod Marinelli and a Rod Marinelli effect all offseason, and I didn't see it in that first game. So I, I expect more in week two from the Raiders, conditioning or not. Yeah, absolutely. And how about, what What did you think that was just okay? Maybe an area that you'd like to see some improvement on or, or maybe something that maybe you were pleasantly surprised with and, and encouraged about moving forward. What was okay? I mentioned this early in the show, and it was the aggressiveness of John Gruden early in the game. And a lot of people pointed this out on social media, how the Raiders offense would kind of conserve. Not kind of, it did. It went conservative in the second half, maybe because they have they had their third guy in that at right tackle, Trent Brown going down and Sam Young going down with injury. So maybe there was a little conservatism there because you want to get the ball out quick and not risk Derek Carr getting hit. Also, Ruggs was, kind of, was a decoy in the second half. He didn't catch a pass after the second quarter after he had that injury. So you wonder maybe Ruggs being dinged up kind of limited the offense. And, of course, again, with Denzel better at right tackle, maybe there were limitations there. But you want to see Gruden keep his foot on the pedal because the Panthers were let back in the game and, and took the lead. So the Rays had to come back and win the game. So you, you want to see Gruden maintain that aggressiveness, keep his foot on the pedal throughout the entire game because this is what we saw last season. This is what we saw in 2008 since he's come back. Very, very good in the first half of the first quarter. Second half, not much. So I want to see Gruden keep keep that up. Keep you have you ha, again. You have the offensive depth, the weapons there. You can mix it up, get different guys the ball, and still be potent on offense. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you're you're, you're spot on. He, uh, I I do agree with you. I think Gruden took his foot off the pedal a little bit when the Raiders extended their lead to 27-15. You know, they did a great job of the defense did a great job of getting two three and outs to start the third quarter. Got the ball back to the offense. They they had a field goal and a touchdown. But after that, things kind of sputtered out. That can't happen, like you said, against good teams. Uh, all right, that was the good, the bad, and the okay from week one. Mo, let's talk about some of the injuries now. And we did get a kind of an update from Gruden today. He met with the media. He didn't give a lot of specifics, but he, he did say that Trent Brown, who left the game after only three snaps, would be going in for an MRI on that uh, calf. That is not a good sign. 
the news about Kwiatkowski appears to be more positive. I'm not sure if you saw the report by Ian Rappaport. He said that he did have an MRI and that confirmed that he did not tear the pectoral muscle. Uh, but there is no timeline for his return at the moment. Henry Ruggs seems like he will be okay after, again, he left the game. He did return. Uh, not very effective in the second half, but he did finish the game and he spoke with the media afterwards and he said he'll be fine. And I'm not sure about you, but I did not hear an update on Sam Young. Did you hear anything on Sam Young, Mo? No, I didn't hear anything on Sam Young. But the big news here is is Trent Brown. All offseason, Raiders fans are worried about Trent Brown because he missed a lot of practices and, and, and the coaches and Raiders are kind of saying, well, nothing really to worry about. We just want them to be ready for the season. My question would have been if I had, if I was in Las Vegas and I'm asking the coaches, what was their level of, of concern for Trent Brown going into the season? When he got hurt, were they kind of expect, not, I want to say expecting him to get hurt, but were they kind of like, well, we, we kind of thought he could probably get hurt early in the game because he wasn't really 100% during training camp. I'm wondering, was it a complete shocker when he came out of the game relatively early? Because again, he didn't make it through the first quarter. So to me, from the outside looking in, I could be wrong, but this seems like a guy who just wasn't healthy to begin with, missing a whole bunch of practices and leaving early in the first quarter. So I'm I'm worried about Trent Brown. Raiders fans have some different worries about Trent Brown. I'll let people listen to this podcast, dig into that on social media if you want to be a detective on that. But there are some people concerned about him. Um, but I, I just feel like the, the injury concern is, is there and him missing five games last year, even though he's he's great when he's on the field, but he's got to stay healthy because if he's not healthy and you're looking to Denzel Good to play out through, throughout the entire season at right tackle, that may be an issue. Good was good in the pinch in one game, but what is he going to be like 15 more games as a, as a full-time starter at right tackle? No one really knows because he's been playing at guard. He does have some experience there, but again, you wonder full-time, how does he perform? Yeah, and Mo, and that's exactly why when when I went through my my fifty three man roster projection projection, not to not to like you know toot my own horn here, but that is the exact reason why I had good making the team is because because of his ability to play not only guard but tackle and and you know look right there week one he was put in to play tackle so uh, I thought he played well again long term is he the answer I don't think so but you know he, he can he'll put a patch on things for a couple weeks but you got to get Brown healthy or, or Sam Young back and and Mo we were texting a bit during the game yesterday and, and I don't want to be the one to start these types of conversations I don't want to put this kind of stuff out there because it's very early in the year and who knows Brown could come back and in a couple games and have a, a great season. But when you look back on Brown's time with the Raiders, you talked about him missing five games last year. He has really struggled to stay healthy. I took a look at the contract today. He can be cut in 2021 with no dead cap hit to the team, and it would save them $14 million. Again, I don't want to get too far ahead. Certainly, I don't want to say I'm giving up on the player because there's still a long way to go in this season, and he's very young. He's only 27. But it's something to keep an eye on or something to keep in the back of your mind as this season unfolds. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's definitely something to keep in mind, especially with the cap potentially shrinking next year. Uh, I will say this. You you want Trent Brown out there. because he Again, he's great. He was a pro bowl last year. He's great when he's healthy. But first thing is availability. I mean, Q mentions this on, on Silver and Black today all the time. Gruden talks about it. You got to be available. You can be an all-pro player, but if you're not on the field, you can't help your football team. And if Trent Brown has to miss an extended period, I'm sure the Raiders have an eye on his contract and 
what they can recoup if, if he's not on the field or if they feel that they can draft a guy or sign a right tackle or free agency. Again, I will make it clear you want Trent Brown out there, but you are worried about his injury history and what's going on with him right now. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, the the Raiders do have an extra an extra day to, to get ready for next week's Monday night game, so we'll keep a close eye on the injury report. Now, Mo, I do I do want to shift gears slightly. I have a couple of topics that I would like to discuss with you in regards to Sunday's game. There were a lot of guys that played well yesterday. We were, well, maybe not we, but I was a bit hard on Derek Carr going into this this season. Derek Carr was one of those guys who played well, and you know he may not have blown us away with his stats, uh, but he managed the game very nicely. The, the offense scored 34 points. He didn't turn the ball over, and at the end of the game, when the offense needed a score, he delivered. Tell me what you think about Carr's performance in Week One. There's a mixed bag here. I don't have a I. I'll say this. I don't have an issue with Derek Carr's performance. I think he played great. Under John Gruden, this is who Derek Carr is going to be. He's going to complete. He's going to try to get Derek Carr to complete about 70% of his passes. Derek Carr is, and I play fantasy a lot. Derek Carr is not a quarterback that's going to throw three, four touchdown passes in the game, even in a good matchup. Now, this is considered a good matchup against the Panthers secondary, who, again, had a rookie at cornerback. They drafted seven players for their defense in April. They're basically revamping their team. Derek Carr throws for 239 yards and a touchdown. In the box score, that doesn't look great, but if you watch the game, you talked about the Derek Dime, you talked about him spreading the football around. This is who he's going to be at his best with John Gruden. Not, not necessarily a stat maven when he's racking up big numbers, but efficient, makes the play at the right time, completes his passes. John Gruden mentioned it today in the press conference. He says, Derek Carr, we're not changing our quarterback. He says something to the effect of, you know, we had some changing parts, moving parts, but Derek Carr is our steady guy. I'm not changing quarterbacks. Derek Carr played a great game. Gruden complimented him. It's pretty funny how when Gruden compliments Marcus Mariota or another quarterback, all of the media is jumping on it. Oh, did you hear what Gruden said about Marcus Mariota? He's a dazzling playmaker. Oh, did you hear what he said about this guy? Did you hear what he said about Peterman? But then when he talks good about Derek Carr, it doesn't. you don't hear a pin drop about it. And I find that pretty interesting. People are saying, well, Derek Carr can get replaced, and that turned out to be a farce because Mariota is not ready. He's on IR. Nathan Peterman, nowhere close. But again, he congrats. Gruden talked to Derek Carr. He did a great job. He's not going to satisfy you with the numbers, but he's efficient, and he led his team to the win. Yeah, I think he deserves a little bit more credit for, again, we talked about some of the adversity. He did lose his starting right tackle, his backup right tackle. They were on their third string uh, emergency tackle. He lost his uh, one of his top targets who was, who was pretty involved in the, in the game plan, it seemed, early on in Henry Ruggs, who... You know, definitely wasn't the same in the second half, and you know he still got it done. So I, I like I like what I saw from from Derek Carr uh, in Week One. Now the second thing I want to ask you about Mo are the rookies. There was a lot of talk all uh, all training camp long. They, they were getting hyped up. The trio of rookies: Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, and Damon Arnett. How would you assess their performance from what you saw on Sunday? Yeah, Damon Arnett had that had that big whiff, but. I mean, I say he was he was fine for most of the game. Uh, people are going to highlight that 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 penalty and that that miss on Robbie Anderson, and I chalk it up to a learning experience. This is his first NFL game. You have to expect this. What you want to see is that Gruden sticks with his rookies and just doesn't pull them after they make a big mistake. Because what you don't want is a player out there thinking and not reacting. And if he's thinking about oh, I can't make a mistake, he's going to make a lot more mistakes. So you don't want to see that. As far as Henry Ruggs is concerned. 
I, we talked about it. He was involved in the first half. He was pretty much a decoy in the second half after he got hurt. He says he's going to be okay. You hope he's going to be okay because you can tell Gruden all summer was drawing up plays for Henry Ruggs, and we saw that right from the get-go. We talked about that 45-yard play that set up a touchdown for Josh Jacobs. If Henry Ruggs is healthy and on the field, the Raiders' offense has an explosive component to it. As far as Brian Edwards, we didn't talk much about him other than that block that sealed the third touchdown. I think with Derek Carr spreading the ball, ball around, you're going to see Brian Edwards involved in the coming weeks. I wouldn't just give up on him now because he only had one catch on the screen for nine yards. I think he's going to get involved. About, I feel like he's around week four or five. He'll really hit his stride. And if he does, Rays will have rugs on the outside, Edwards on the outside, percolating. And then you have Hunter Renfro on the slot. All of a sudden, you got you got a full deck with, with Darren Wall on the outside. I know Jason Witten didn't do much in the passing in the receiving game, but he has some blocks. You want to see more than that. But I think the Raiders are pretty good with their receiving core. And the rookies played pretty well, specifically Ruggs. You want to see more from Brian Edwards, but I think that's coming down the line. Yeah, I personally would have liked to have seen Gruden uh, get Edwards more involved, even if it was like a quick screen. I know, I know, in college he caught a lot of quick screens, a lot of quick slants. Just get him the ball in open field and enforce those de- those defensive backs to, to try to bring down uh, the the big physical player that Edwards did. So, so hopefully, as as things go along, we'll, we'll see Edwards more involved in the game plan in, in that way. Now, Mo, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to take a look at the number of snaps yet, but there were a couple things that I saw immediately that came to mind when I you know when I was watching the game but then I, I I saw the numbers of snaps that these guys played in now the first one that I saw was Jason Witten played in 28 snaps and Foster Moreau played 12 so that was the first thing uh and and after all the talk about the the offseason that Zay Jones had Gruden was talking him up I think he called him one of the most improved players if I'm not mistaken he plays only nine snaps so first uh what are your thoughts on on the Witten and, and Morrow's kind of time split or time share, I should say. And then what do you think about Zay Jones? First, I'll start with Witten and Moreau. You got to remember that Moreau is coming off a torn ACL. Now, of course, he practiced throughout the offseason. He seemed fine. But again, a practice is different than a regular game. So I think they were just probably taking it easy on Moreau for the first game and letting Jason Witten start because he has the experience. Not start, but get most of the snaps because he has the experience. He's been on the field. You want to take it easy for Moreau. You don't want him to see him get injured again because he was a big part of that red zone offense in the passing game. So you want to make sure he's right for the season. As far as Zay Jones and Nelson Aguilar, I always tell Raiders fans, be careful about who Gruden talks up at any time because he'll talk up a guy and then that player won't pan out. That'll trade you. Doesn't have a a big role. I mean, he did it last year with Isaiah Johnson. He talked up Isaiah Johnson throughout the whole year and Isaiah Johnson didn't do much and and I kind of knew he wasn't. He had the facial injury. He he switched over from wide receiver to cornerback. So I didn't expect him to do much, but Gruden made fans and made people believe that he was going to have some type of role. He didn't. So I would just be careful about who Gruden talks up. I will say this though. I think it was just a matter of who got the call on that play? Because I feel like if Zay Jones was matched up against that rookie Troy Pride Jr., it would have been him catching that touchdown. In this case, it just happened to be Nelson Aguilar, and he got the touchdown. Again, Nelson Aguilar only had one catch, but it was a big one catch for that score. So I think he he just got the luck of the draw and got the touchdown. I would Again, I wouldn't give up on Zay Jones yet. I think he has a role in this offense. It's just a matter of whose number gets called at what specific time. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's early on, so anybody who's out there, uh, you know, panicking about Morrow snaps or, or Zay Jones isn't involved. It's it's week one. You know, they're still trying to feel things out. Don't forget, they did not have preseason games, so the first couple of games might be used to kind of you know set that rotation a little bit. And I think things will start to settle in in, in a few weeks here. Uh, we're gonna really we're, quick though. Yeah, go ahead. Really, really quick. I just want to know. Um, I saw this from Scott Bear, who's over at NBCS. You've had him on the show before. He had a breakdown of Cleveland Farrell snaps, and Cleveland Farrell had 38 snaps at defensive end and 14 at tackle. Now, there was talk that he could move in more this season as he's gained weight, 275 pounds. I'm wondering, without much pass rush on the outside, do the Raiders experiment more with Cleveland Farrell moving inside and possibly matching up against slower defensive tackles? Maybe he can get to the quarterback that way. I wouldn't recommend that because that's not his natural position. But I'm wondering, because of the, the snap split, 38 to 14, do we see more of him at tackle with the Raiders' pass rush struggling? That's something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah, I, I did see the tweet myself, and uh, yeah, you know, listen, Mo, Mo, this is what I, this is the way I feel about the pass rush. Put players wherever they need to be. Let's just get something going because what we saw on Sunday, that is unacceptable. That's not going to cut it. It is going to be a long year on defense if they cannot get some more pressure on the quarterbacks. They cannot expect this young secondary to to cover for that long. Uh, I heard uh, Abram talking about it, and I've heard coaches talk about it many, many times, that the pass rush and the cover, it goes hand in hand. And if one one area isn't doing their job, then – it's just not going to work. So, uh, you're you're right about that. It'll be interesting to see what what Gunther and, and Marinelli decide to do uh, going forward. But I want to keep things rolling along here. Next up, we're going to give out our Week One game ball. So why don't you go first, Mo? Uh, Mo who gets your game ball in Week One? Well, we were texting before the show, and I know who you like, so I'll go with. I guess I'll go with the obvious choice, which is Josh Jacobs. A lot of people are voting for him as I believe offensive player of the week, which he should. Ninety three rushing yards, three touchdowns. Three touchdown runs inside the red zone, inside the 10-yard line. Remember, the Raiders harped on red zone offense. And I said this during offseason, possibly their best weapon inside the red zone is Josh Jacobs. And now that he's involved in the passing game, I wouldn't be surprised to see him catch passes inside the 20 and get the ball in the end zone. Yeah, he was spectacular, and he, he's off to an excellent start. And uh, my wife's fantasy team, yep, that's right, my wife plays <laughs> fantasy football. We, we picked up Josh Jacobs on, on her team, and he got her a bunch of points, so she was happy uh, to see that. But, yeah, uh, my game ball, and Mo said it, I, I kind of stole him from, from Mo, but uh, I'm giving my game ball to Jonathan Abram. You know, I've wondered all off season about what what – are the Raiders getting in Abram? I know the type of player he was in college and all of that, but we, we never had a chance to see him play last year because he was injured uh, in the first quarter of week one. He has quickly answered any questions that I have had about this kid. He is a baller. He was all over the field for the defense. He led the team with 13 tackles. We know his ability to be physical, his love for contact. Uh, but the thing that I was really impressed with the most was his communication. Um, I haven't had the chance to watch the All-22 film yet. I will do that here in the next day or two. But I saw several clips out there on Twitter uh, of the All-22. And, and you can see him gesturing to uh, you know to his teammates and pointing in directions. Uh, really doing a great job of communicating with all the young corners that are out there with him. You'd love to see him being so vocal. 
taking on that leadership role in the secondary. I really think they've got a good one in Abram, and I, I really can't wait to see how he progresses uh, throughout the season. Because let's not forget that was his really his first career game. So uh, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table, you know, going forward. What do you what do you think about that, Mo? That's one thing that he he improved in improved in without even being on the field. And I think a lot of players do this when you're hurt for a year and you don't, you don't play much your rookie year. You can still learn the game and pick up the scheme and, and be able to communicate without being on the field. Now, of course, you want to be on there to, to put that to practice, but you can still watch the game from another lens. And I think he did that, and it, it shows his communication. I will say this, per PFF, 34 snaps at free safety, 21 in the box, 8 in the slot. So he was all over the field. That's what you want to see out of your safety. It's a leadership position. I know Eric Harris is the captain. But Jonathan Abram seems like he's ready to take over and, and be that guy on the back end who can see the field, get his guys in the right spot to make a stop. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about him, Mo. But uh, last thing we have to do before we get out of here, Mo, is I want to quickly take a look ahead to week two. The Saints come to to Vegas on Monday Night Football. Uh, it'll be the first game ever played at Allegiant Stadium. The Saints are a whole different animal than the Carolina Panthers. They are coming off an impressive week one win over Tom Brady and the, and the, and the Bucks. I didn't get a chance to see the whole game yesterday, but, but the bits and pieces that I saw, they look explosive on offense. They've got a lot of weapons, Elvin Kamara, uh, Michael Thomas, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, of course, Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterback. I got to admit, I'm worried. But Mo, what are your, what are your initial thoughts uh, as you look ahead to week two? Yeah, the Raiders cannot, and I said this on Twitter about an hour before I got on with you, the Raiders cannot get away with what they what they got away with on Sunday, the Panthers with the Saints. It's just not going to happen. If you let go of the lead with the Saints, they're going to close that out in the fourth quarter. I know Drew Brees' numbers aren't that impressive. I believe he was 18 of 30, 60% completion rate, 160 yards, two touchdowns. So, Again, not impressive in the box score, but with all of those weapons and the mistakes that the Raiders made on defense, Kwiatkowski may be out. I know Raekwon McMillan could probably step in there, but you kind I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints put up a lot of points. I know Raiders fans want to be optimistic with their first game at Allegiant Stadium, but it's going to be a much tougher challenge than the Carolina Panthers. The Saints are a well-oiled machine. They have, they have a set offense with Sean Payton. They added Emmanuel Sanders. Don't sleep on their defense either because Jonathan, oh, not Jonathan, Janoris Jenkins and I believe it was Marcus Williams both had a pick yesterday against the Tampa Buccaneers. Both picked off Tom Brady. So the Saints not only have an explosive offense, they have a really good defense under Dennis Allen. Raiders fans know that name very well. Don't sleep on their defense. I think they can possibly hold the Raiders, especially if Ruggs is not healthy, if things aren't in sync. The Raiders have to be on point. They have to score points and make stops. We'll see if they can get it done against the Saints. Okay, Raider Nation, that is going to do it for the week one recap episode of Just Pod Baby. You will hear from me later in the week when we begin previewing week two versus the Saints. We hope that all of you have a great week. And for my co-host, Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. Take care, everyone. And as always, just win, baby.